Well, this morning we start a new series going through the book of Luke. We plan to at least go through the first three chapters of Luke over the next three months. Some of it time to coincide with the coming Christmas season. And then later in January, we'll deal with some of those other childhood stories like Anna and Simeon and the day where Jesus gets lost in the temple. I'm really looking forward to it. After that, we may take a break from it. It is the longest book in the New Testament, so we may not do it all of the way through. We may go back to Genesis after a little while. Today, we start with the single sentence that Luke begins his gospel with. And what it's designed to do is help us with the uncertainty that many of us are feeling, especially after the last few years. There are, it seems, more whispers than there used to be out there that would cause us to doubt whether the testimony we're given in this book is true. Don't the teachings in this book oppress minorities? Isn't, isn't that book just a bunch of fairy tales? When will you guys throw the fairy tales away and, and believe the truth? Hasn't science disproved the Bible? When will you guys begin to listen to science and stop listening to the book? Aren't these teachings bad for women? Aren't they bad for all who come to them? Don't they put us in this ethical system that is bad for people? What, what about that person who fell away from the faith that you put so much trust in, right? Whispers all over the place. I think louder and more of them than there were even a few years ago. Add to that the fact that almost all of us had to miss church for eight straight weeks back in 2020, and many of us for a lot longer than that. That can lead to discouragement and uncertainty. For several of us, we know someone who we once considered a, a strong Christian who has walked away from the faith, or at least walked away from the church. And for many of us, these were people in high prominence, people that we trusted quite a lot, who wound up either to be fraudulent altogether, or they at least appeared genuine, but they began walking away. And when all of this happens at once, it starts to feel like the ground is kind of shaking beneath you. And what is, is this stuff really real? The Lord writes this first sentence for us this morning to, to shore up that certainty, to speak into that uncertainty, so we can walk away from here this morning saying, yes, it's real. All of it is real. Let's look together to the first sentence Luke writes in verses 1 through 4. I want to try something new this morning. I've been wanting to do this, and as we start a new series, maybe this is the time to do it. A lot of you are used to, after I read the sermon text, I tend to say the words of the Lord. Uh, what if we did this? What if I said the words of the Lord, and then we all said together, may all flesh tremble? What if we try that together? Okay, so let's practice. I say the words of the Lord, and then we all say May all flesh tremble. Okay, that was good. I'd give that a B plus. Let's go for an A. Here we go. The words of the Lord. There we go. Okay, so we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll do that. Let's give that a try. Okay, Luke writes this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of all the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. The words of the Lord, may all flesh tremble. So through those words... The Spirit gives to us a certainty about Christian teaching. 
by verifying that the events of Jesus' life really happened. Essentially, Luke has one purpose here, and there's a reason why he's doing it. Now, I love as a preacher when an author tells us what he is saying and why he is saying it, because my first job when I go to the text on Monday morning is to discern what is this author saying and why is he saying it. Then I know what I need to say to you guys. So in the rare instance that an author says, here is what I am saying and here is why I am saying it. Well, boy, like two hours of my study just got done because Luke tells us exactly what is going on. For the whole book, we have him telling us here what he is saying in this book and why he is saying it. What he's saying is that the events of Jesus' life really happened. He went and did the research. He had followed it for a long time. And he wanted the people that he were reading him to have certainty that these things really happened. So his message is essentially, I went and looked it up. I went and interviewed all the people. I did all the work of a historian. And I can verify for you, this stuff really happened. Jesus really came. He really did claim to be the Son of God. He really did say all of those things. He really did perform all those miracles. He really did die. He really did rise. And he really did ascend up into heaven. That's Luke's point. It really happened. He went and did the research. Why is he saying it? Well, he tells us that later on. He wants us to have certainty about the teachings of Christianity. The apostles grounded almost everything they taught in real historic events. Our salvation is dependent, right, on the real death and the real resurrection of Jesus Christ. So much is dependent on what really happened in these days when Jesus walked the earth. And here Luke is saying, I went and looked it up. I did the homework. I can verify it. It really happened. And you can really have certainty about what the apostles are telling you. So let's this morning look for that very thing in the words in verses 1 through 4. And then we'll spend a little bit on each side of his message there. The events really happened and then we can have confidence in Christian teaching. After that, we'll apply it to a few specific situations that some of you are in and then we'll look to the Lord's Supper together. First, let's examine the verses themselves. In verse 1, Luke says something really plain and really verifiable to the people of that day, and that's just that many people have already tried to do what he has done. Some of them were probably Matthew, Mark, and John, already writing gospel accounts, already doing the research, interviewing the eyewitnesses. Those guys were there themselves and saw the things happen themselves. This has already been done before. And then in verse 2, He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. So in other words, just as the apostles said, when he says, those who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, uh, those are phrases that are used for the apostles in the New Testament. All of the apostles had seen these things happen. Paul saw many of them happen as an unbeliever. And all of them had seen the risen Christ. Paul saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. They had seen with their eyes he had really risen from the dead. And they had been appointed to be ministers of the word, to go all over the known world saying, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus is Lord. You must turn from sin and believe in Jesus. So many of these writers are going back and saying, well, let's get 
documentation on what really happened here. We have these apostles telling us we must believe upon this Jesus who died and rose. Let's go do the homework and let's go see what really happened. So many have done this. They've done it to verify that these events happened just as the apostles delivered them to us. And then in verse 3, he says, I am doing the same thing. He says, it seemed good to me also to do this. He tells us why he is so qualified to do this work of history. He says, I have followed all these things closely for some time past. So he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He was taking accounts the whole time. You can read his word in the book of Acts when he says, we went here and we went there and we started this because he was there and he was there doing all these things. He heard Paul stand up and tell people that Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to Peter and he appeared to Mary and then he appeared to all of the disciples and then he appeared to 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive. And he recorded all of these things and now is saying, all right, I'm going to find those 500 people and I'm going to get their account of it so that we can verify all of this. And then in verse four, we see why he's doing it. So that you, his patron, Theophilus, may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. We know almost nothing about who Theophilus was. Uh, We theorize that maybe he was a Roman noble because he's called most excellent Theophilus. And he seems to be the person who paid for Luke to do all of this stuff. And that would take a wealthy person to do. It seems dedicated to him. All we really know about Theophilus is he wants certainty that these things really happened. And so he has probably employed Luke, or at least one way or another asked Luke to go verify all these things. Luke wants Theophilus and us, by extension, having written a public work, to be certain that the things the apostles say, the things that we read in the epistles, their dependence on the Old Testament, the things we hear even in Revelation, they really are true. Because Jesus really did come. He really did say and do all those things. He really did die. And he really did rise. So there's a walk through what Luke is doing. The point again is that he wants to verify these things really happened so you can be confident in the apostles' teaching. You can be confident in Christian doctrine. Let's look at both sides of that. We'll drill deep into it and then we'll spend some time diving into specific applications for some of us in specific situations. So first, Luke's point. The events of Jesus' life really happened just as the apostles claimed. That's the point of this book. The events of Jesus' life really happened just as the apostles claimed. Now, earlier, I read from the scriptures, I said, the words of the Lord we said together may all flesh tremble. And the truth is that ought to be enough for us, right? If God writes it and we tremble before him, Well, there's enough to believe his word. The fact that we have four gospel accounts telling us inspired by God and many letters written after that inspired by God telling us that these things happen. Now that's enough for us. And for some of us, that's enough for our hearts too. Some of you, your story is like mine. I went away to college uncertain as to whether this book was really the word of God or not. And I was looking for proof and no one ever proved it to me. I was just reading it day after day And I just heard the voice of my shepherd in the words and slowly over time became convicted. This this is God's word. God is working in me through this book. 
Many of us have a similar story. Our confidence that the book is the word of God is so great that we don't need anyone to verify for us. We don't need anyone to do the science and do the history and prove it. We can just trust on it because it's the word. Others of us are a little more like I was the day I left for college. Others of us are saying, mm, why don't you prove it to me, right? Like, I don't want to believe anything that, that I can't verify, that you can't prove to me without a shadow of a doubt is really true, especially with such great claims like a man dying and rising and claiming to have lordship over my life, and I've got to do what he says. You're going to have to prove that before I will believe it. And so if you walked in here this morning thinking of the Word of God, thinking of the story of Jesus Christ as maybe possible, but I don't want to believe that unless it can be proven, right? Unless the homework can be done and you can show me that it happened. Well, I want you to know that 2,000 years ago, the Lord knew that you would feel that way. And the Lord brought you even in here today to read the words of a man who went and did the homework in the first century, a man who followed up and said, did this happen or not? We're going to find out. And who can come back to you now in this book, the longest one of the New Testament, and say, here is what the history says. I did the homework. I did the history. I can verify it. And here it is. Truthfully, there is actually as much evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as there is for any event in ancient history, any event before 500 AD. But we still get ourselves tripped up and we still like to say, well, I don't want to believe it because there's not enough historic evidence. Uh, by that standard, you would have to rip out everything before 500 AD from your history book because there is just as much evidence that he lived, he said what he said, he did what he did, he died and he rose, as there is evidence that Nebuchadnezzar was a real person and Julius Caesar really did cross the Rubicon. If you believe things like that from history, you can believe a message like this from history. And in fact, one of those historical scholarly works that's worthy of our trust is the Gospel of Luke. You may not be willing to receive it because it's the Word of God. I'm willing to receive it because it's the Word of God. But even without that, we have to receive it as a scholarly work of history because he did his homework. He verified it, and it really did happen. And so that means if you want to walk out today saying there is not enough evidence that Jesus really rose from the dead, the historical evidence just isn't there, what you have to say now is I looked at a historic source on November 6th of 2022 and I was unwilling to believe it. I looked at the history and I ignored it. And even worse, you may stand before God in judgment one day. And when you say to him, God, you didn't prove it to me. You didn't verify to me that these things really happened. How could I be expected to believe that these things happened? He has permission to. He can say to you in return, no, I showed you a historic source. And you were unwilling to believe it. The truth is, most of us who say things like that, there's not enough historic evidence, uh, have not actually looked at the history, or we would know that there is actually a lot of historic evidence. 
The problem instead is that we don't want to believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose because it's, it's unbelievable, right? Pe- people don't just rise from the dead. That's why this stuff is hard to believe, not for lack of evidence. And so the Lord puts it before us today. Here is a man who did the homework. Here's a man who did the research. And he came back to report and say, it's true, all of it. You can put your confidence in it. There's a similar argument we hear from others who would say that science disproves the Bible, right? We have enough science now that we can disprove that these things really happened. And I want to show you that there are two reasons that Luke's logic here refutes that and shows that that cannot be true. First, because Luke claims that his book is about not natural events, but supernatural events. He claims this from the get-go, right? Somebody rises, two people actually rise from the dead in his story. That doesn't happen according to the natural laws of science. Science was actually invented by Christians, a lot of people don't know that, uh, because we were the f- one of the few people, one of the few groups in the world who believed that God had made the world to operate according to set natural principles, right? The world is predictable. The waves crash on the seashore according to real natural laws, because it's not chaos under all this, but an orderly God. And so Christians began to set themselves out to discern what are those natural laws that the universe operates by? How do the waves crash in the ocean, and why? And how do the clouds come by, and why do they? And can we start to predict how the clouds come by, and what the weather will be tomorrow? This was the foundation of modern science, try to discern what those natural laws are. And that's why we oftentimes call them the natural sciences, right? The, The goal of science is to discern what are the natural laws of the universe that things operate by. Most of the Bible is not about natural events. It is about supernatural events, right? And so we violate the spirit of science when we say the natural sciences prove that supernatural things cannot happen. You see the logic here? We're taking a tool designed to analyze how things naturally go and then saying that those laws can never be broken by the God who made them. Actually, what God does is he steps into the story from time to time, suspends the natural laws of the universe, and does things like healing people, or raising someone from the dead, or an axe head floats, or at one point a donkey talks. That's not according to the natural laws of the universe. When the Lord wants to do it, he can do it. These things are supernatural, and we go against the spirit of science when we use natural sciences to try to talk about supernatural events. The other way that Luke proves us that this is wrong is it violates the spirit of science in another way. The spirit of science comes from the Latin cry, uh, ad fontes. I know I'm getting very academic with you here, but in the days of the Renaissance, the Pope was saying, this is true because I said so. And there was another cry that looked up to the Pope and said, I'm going to go see. I'm going to go check that out. I'm going to go to the source and find out. So the Pope with dogma was saying, this happened because I said so. And the cry of the Renaissance was to the sources, back to the sources. I'm going to look and see. And so the men of the Reformation looked back to the Bible and said, we're going to go to the source and see what really happened. The Pope would say, the Bible says this because I said so. You don't need to read it. And they'd say, no, I'm going I'm to look at the source, right? To the source. Similarly, scientists, Christian scientists, 
would hear the Pope make dogmatic claims, this is true because I said so and I have authority, and they would say, we're going we're gonna to look and, and see, right? That's the spirit of science. Look and see. Do an experiment. Find out how things really work. So you get a man like Galileo, a Christian, who heard the Pope declare everything revolves around the earth. Sun revolves around the earth. Venus and Mars, they all revolve around the earth. It's the middle of the solar system, middle of the universe. And he said, I'm going to look and see. So he built a telescope, right? First time it magnified the sky by three times. And then he built a bigger one, magnified it by 30 times. He tracked all the movement of all the objects in the sky and did all the math and mapped it out. And he said, actually, I looked and saw, and it looks like everything's revolving around the sun, not around earth. And so you get this battle for the ages between dogma and science. The Pope saying, no, everything revolves around the earth because I said so. And the scientists saying, no, but I, but I looked and saw and actually everything doesn't revolve around the earth. So the spirit of science is against the spirit of dogma. Spirit of dogma says, I said so and therefore it is, right? This is how it happens, which mankind does not have the right to. Only God can do that. Spirit of science says, well, I'm going to look and see. Some of us come to a text like this one with a spirit that says, no, God couldn't have come to earth. It doesn't work that way. No, Jesus couldn't have risen from the dead. It doesn't work that way. No, he could not have died on the cross to pay for sins because it doesn't work that way, right? No, it doesn't work that way. That cannot be. And with the spirit of dogma in our hearts, we say that can't be because I said so, right? Luke says, like a good scientist, like a good scholar, well, I went and looked, and actually, it did happen. And if it did happen, we're going to have to deal with it, right? That's what good research does. That's what good science does. There's a controversy going on right now because for a long time, we believed that uh, clinical depression was built on a serotonin deficiency, and a recent study just brought a lot of doubt on that and said, actually, that, that probably is not what causes depression in people. And so good scientists are looking at that and saying, well, going to have to rewrite the playbook, right? We thought it worked like this, but there's the research and it looks like it doesn't actually work like that. So got to rewrite the playbook. Many of us are going to the Bible with a grid that says a man cannot rise from the dead. God will not ever come to earth. Things don't work that way. And with Luke, the good researcher, reporting back and saying, well, here is what actually happened. It's time to rewrite the playbook, right? Looks like God does come to earth. Looks like a man has risen from the dead. And it looks like that man really did claim to be the Lord of life really does claim to offer forgiveness of sins for anyone who will receive it, and really does offer eternal life to all of his followers. Whatever grid you came in here with this morning, there's what happened, and it's time to rewrite the playbook based on what happened. So that's Luke's message. These things really happened just as he claimed. Why does he say it? That's the other half. What this means for us is you can be confident in Christian teaching. The things that I have taught you from this pulpit, in as much as they came from this word, 
You can be confident in them. The faith that was handed down from the apostles to the men after them, preserved in the word of God, given down through the ages, you can be confident that it's true. The teachings of the apostles in books like Romans and James and and, and other books in the New Testament, you can be confident that they are true because the events of Jesus' lives really happened. The logic here is that the apostles grounded almost everything they taught in the events of Jesus' life. If he didn't really do and say those things, the apostles have no business doing what they were doing. For instance, on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter gets up and he preaches and he ends his sermon saying, know for certain, all of you, that this Jesus you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ by raising him from the dead. And they are cut to the heart. That doesn't work if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead right? It has to be true that he really rose from the dead. And so on the grounds of the resurrection, he claims the lordship of Jesus. Throughout the book of Romans, the logic works this way. In Romans 1, Paul claims that Jesus is the son of David and declared to be the son of God in his resurrection from the dead. Well, that only works if he really rose from the dead. We can have confidence in what Paul is telling us because he really rose from the dead. Two chapters later, in Romans 3, Paul tells us that the crucifixion shows God's righteousness and it saves us, providing forgiveness for our sins. Well, that only works if Jesus really died on a cross and that death really was to offer a payment for our sins. But Luke does the homework here and says, yes, he really died and he really taught those things. Romans 4 says that Jesus was delivered over and crucified for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That only works if Jesus really delivered over and really died and really rose from the dead. But Luke does the homework and says he was really delivered over, he really died, and he really rose from the dead. So we can have confidence that we're delivered from our trespasses and that we are justified before God because it really did happen. Romans 5 says that Jesus' death shows us God's love and assures us that we will be saved from the wrath of God on the last day. So if it really happened, we've got assurance that on the last day we do not need to fear God's wrath. And so praise God that Luke went and did the homework and verified that it really happened. Romans 6 says that our baptism has meaning and that one day we will rise from the dead because Jesus rose from the dead. And so it's important that Luke went and did the homework and verified, yes, he really rose from the dead. You can trust that teaching. And Romans 7 says that we aren't bound by Old Testament law because Jesus died. So because of this verification, because we know it really happened, that's just the first seven chapters of Rome. We've got the whole rest of the New Testament we could be looking at. You can have confidence that he really is the son of God. God really is that righteous. We really are delivered from our trespasses. We are justified before God. God really loves us. We will be saved on the last day. When you were baptized, it has real meaning about your resurrection from the dead on the last day. And you are freed from the Old Testament law all those benefits you have because he really did die and he really did rise. So Luke wants you walking out of here with certainty. Yeah, those things really happened and I really do have all of those things. Some of you in certain situations, this means 
particular things for your life. Some of you are going to work, and people are asking you hard questions about Jesus and the Gospels, and is this really true? Questions you don't necessarily have the answers to. You know, what about this thing that it says about husbands and wives? Like, what's going on there? What about that kind of funny story in the Old Testament? Like, did a man really get swallowed by a fish? Like, tell me how that can be possible. They've got hard questions for you. You don't quite know the answers, and you're not sure what to do about it. Well, you should look for answers for their questions out of love for them. As much as you can give them to free them from any hang-ups that are keeping them from coming to Christ, give it to them. But you have this to fall back on, and you can always fall back on it. Well, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so if he really rose from the dead, he's got authority to say whatever it is that that person is wrestling with. I do know that he really did die and he really did rise. Because the truth is the strength of Christianity doesn't depend on you being smarter than that person who's asking you a question. If it did, then we would lose a lot, right? And the strength of atheism doesn't depend on an atheist being smarter than us. No, the strength of Christianity is in Christ himself, who really died and really rose. There's the immovable stone that they can't get around. They can can dislike everything else about him, but if he really died, really rose, and really claims to be the Lord of all the universe, we've got to deal with it. So take them as much as you can back to the truths of Jesus and the things that he really did, even as you still look up answers to their questions and try to help them as much as you can. Others of you might be unwilling to believe the truth of the gospel over your opposition to its moral claims. Many people today don't want to believe in Jesus because they don't like his morals. More and more common as time goes on. The difficult thing I've got to say to you, if that's you, is that the moral teachings of Jesus don't rest on your approval of him. You and I do not have the right to walk around on earth saying, here is what a man is. Here is what a woman is. Here is how you must live. Here is how you must forgive your enemies. Here is how to live in holiness because I said so, right? We can't do that. And we cannot say, if you don't follow these ways of mine, I am going to judge you forever on the last day. We don't get to do that, right? So our moral grid doesn't have final authority over anyone else and most certainly not over ourselves either. For one really simple reason. None of us is the son of God. None of us died. None of us rose from the dead. There's only one person who gets to walk around and say things like that. The guy who rose from the dead gets to walk around and say things like that. So this means when he walks around and says things that we don't like, we have to come under his authority and say, I don't like that one, but you rose from the dead and I didn't. You're the Lord of the universe and I'm not. And so I come under your authority. This is the logic of the New Testament as well. The book of James, for instance, is a bunch of snippets. We might even, today we would think of them as a bunch of tweets. Uh, based on the words of Jesus, just a series of one or two sentence statements that trace their way back to something that Jesus said. 
And the book has authority, not just because the Spirit of God inspired it, but because he is essentially paraphrasing Jesus in everything that he says. And so the fact that Jesus really said these things gives moral authority to what James is saying. Or you could think of Paul in Philippians 2 who says to show humility to one another because Jesus showed humility by coming to earth and dying and then being lifted up above all. He's basing moral teaching on the truth that Jesus really came and Jesus really died. So the moral teachings of the Bible don't rest on your approval of those moral teachings. They rest on the fact that Jesus really did come, he really did die, and he really did rise. And so we're going to have to deal with that. We might ask specific versions of that, right? Like, isn't expecting someone with homosexual desires to live in celibacy, isn't that oppressive of them? It's not oppressive if the Jesus of the Bible lived 33 years in celibacy. Then we've got to rethink our grid about what a full life is. Or one might ask, aren't the teachings of the Bible oppressive to non-white people? Not if a not-white guy rose from the dead and is Lord of all of the universe. If these things really happened, then it has moral authority. Or we might ask, aren't the teachings of the Bible oppressive to, to women? Not if Jesus really treated women the way that he did in the Gospels, right? If he gives women that kind of favor and that kind of affection and that kind of care that he did when he walked on the earth, well, then the real events of Jesus' life disprove all of our objections. Bring your moral objections to him, He will prove every one of them wrong and show that he is so much better than what we expected him to be. All of this rests on the truth that he really did these things. Lastly, some of us are wrestling not with the moral conundrums, but we are wrestling with our own history. Uh, Some of you I know, and I want to be as tender as I can about this, some of you have just been burned by other Christians, burned even by the church that didn't act like the church and treated you wrong. Uh, hurt by someone who claimed to be a teacher of the gospel and teacher of the truth and turned out just to be a fake and a fraud. Uh, Some of us have scars to show that those things have happened. And, And when it does, when somebody you really trusted turns out to be a fraud, it can kind of throw the whole thing into like a fog and just confusion. And it is right then to go back and say, okay, I need to call into question everything that that person taught me, right? It's good to do that and evaluate everything you heard from them against the word of God. You got your standard right here. But I want you to know what the solid rock is that you can rest on. Here is a truth that won't let you down when others have let you down. Jesus really came, he really died, and he really rose from the dead. No amount of faithlessness is going to change that, is it? No, he's real. He really has done what he says he has done. And if he's real, if he really did that, you may not be able to trust whoever that was, but you can trust him because he's the real deal. So my call to every one of you is this Jesus who really came, who really died, who really rose, who really said all those things and made all of those claims. When he says that he has forgiveness of sins, and eternal life for all who follow him. He has demonstrated that he is worth a claim like that. And he's worth your faith and your trust. He is worthy of you coming to him and saying, Jesus, 
save me. I have sinned. I need forgiveness. I will die. I need eternal life. If you look to him who really did all these things, you will find in his hand forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So everyone, come to him. Place your faith upon him. Let's pray together.